Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Right now, we diverge to Kentucky. Tim Adams uh, is with the Institute of International Finance, our president and chief executive officer. I will not mince words. He has reinvigorated the Institute. It was 400 guys standing around in suits and ties, and he put a spirit into it last year of a debate on our economics and the financial system around it. We're thrilled he could join us today. Tim, what is it like to pull off a virtual conference after the excellence I personally observed last year. How do you do virtual? Yeah, Tom, well, thanks for having me this morning. I got up early this morning, really looking forward to being here with you today. We've got 70 different sessions over five days, 60 hours of programming. It's almost our own little network. So we're learning by doing. we got great speakers, Jamie Diamond, Larry Fink, uh, toward the end of the week. So it's all about content, just like you, Mm -hmm. uh, Tom. It's all about content. I I look at your resume out of Kentucky, your work with Secretary Snow, Secretary O'Neill, et cetera, and you've got the process and the machine of fiscal stimulus in you. You've executed that before. Do you have an optimism that if or when we get fiscal stimulus, we can execute it better this time? I certainly hope so. Look, uh, this town, when it wants to, can execute well, but it requires leadership at the top where the message is we want to have flawless professional execution. This town attracts a lot of really smart, interesting people and it populates with great people. We just need to give the, be given the, the task to do it and do it well. Right now, the IMF is holding their meetings in addition to everything else going on. Does the developed world care enough about the carnage going on in much of the emerging markets right now? Oh, absolutely. I've spent the last eight weeks on the phone with uh, finance managers, central bankers from emerging markets, a lot of developing countries, especially sub-Saharan Africa. We are incredibly engaged with those countries. We're listening to them and we want to help them. All right. So we've heard about uh, debt relief. Are we going to be hearing more and more about debt forgiveness on a magnitude never before seen? I don't know about magnitude never before seen, but certainly countries have an opportunity and option to reach out to their creditors, official, bilateral and private, to find a way forward. Currently, it's a liquidity crisis. It's not yet a solvency crisis, but we're working toward what a solvency adjustment may mean over the next couple of years. Absolutely. Tim Adams, one of the themes we're seeing as we dive into big bank earnings season, and of course, the Institute of International Finance folks is about the representation and the voice of our larger financial institutions globally. Tim Adams is the export of our banking skills and that the major banks in America can go over to Europe and can compete. They can go over to Asia and compete. Is our government holding them back? Or can they constructively compete? Well, uh, to your point, Tom, we had great news out of J.P. Morgan City and BlackRock today, world-class institutions. They can compete. They are competing. They are getting access to markets around the world, including China, which is a huge opportunity for U.S. institutions. Look, we need to see more consolidation in the U.S. We'll see more consolidation across Europe. Uh, Scale is your friend, and namely just because the technology spend. But U.S. and European institutions are world-class. They can compete anywhere. Tim, but this is important. We have liberties restricted in Hong Kong. What is the IIF approach to allowing Western capitalism to work in China if China restricts those opportunities specifically in Hong Kong? 
Uh, you know, Tom, the Chinese government, we have 35 Chinese institutions. I have an office in Beijing, have been very forthcoming in, in attracting non-Chinese financial institutions. They want, the, they want the technical expertise. They want the foreign capital. You know, I've been going to China for close to 30 years. There really is an open door for U.S. financial institutions. I think there's a very good relationship there. Okay, the relationship is there, but how do we compromise with a new tone from Beijing? Well, it's just going to require greater diplomacy, and whoever's in the White House starting the third week of January is going to have to hit the reset button and find ways mm -hmm. to work with President Xi Jinping and look for ways where we do have a common theme, and that is climate change. It's about pandemics. It's about financial. It's about energy. There are a whole host of issues where we need to work together for a common collective outcome. Tim, I've got to ask, we're in the heat of the election season, 21 days to the election. I believe the senator from Kentucky has a win in hand. I think that's what the polling out of Louisville tells me. Give us an update on Kentucky politics. Yeah, don't ever vote against or bet against Mitch McConnell. He's an incredibly great politician. He's been doing this a long time. He's also a good majority leader in, in the Senate. Uh, and I, I, maybe he'll continue being majority leader. We'll see. But never uh, never bet against Mitch McConnell. He'll win this race handedly. Tim, if we do get a – and this is an if. If we do get a President Biden, you are associated with a Republican Party removed from President Trump. Does the Republican Party shift back to the decades of work you represented, or is it Trumpism forever? Oh, that's a great question, Tom. I hope that we return to a vision that I certainly worked for, for Ronald Reagan and George Bush and others, really about building strong institutions, about rule of law, about engagement globally to solve common collective problems. I hope that's the case. If not, I'm willing to work with the Biden administration on a whole range of issues, including sustainable finance. Very good. Tim Adams, thank you so much. Congratulations to the Institute of International Finance. This year, virtual within those Washington meetings is we have Virtual World Bank, IMF, and Milken Institute. It is that season of October. Christopher Harvey is with Wells Fargo, head of equity strategy. Chris, if we could move from the banks, or let me start with the banks. I don't want you to comment on Wells Fargo or, frankly, individual stocks. I understand that's important. Do we get a lift of financials along with a small cap lift, or is it still going to be growthiness out there that reigns supreme? So, Tom, we, month to date, we've already gotten a lift in small caps. We've already gotten a lift in financials. Uh, next couple days, so far, the numbers look pretty good. So I would think that this is a positive for financials in the short term. But you also have uh, news out of Apple, news out of Amazon, which is helping push those stocks higher. But longer term, we are very positive on small caps. We are positive on cyclicals. And we are positive on what we call higher COVID beta plays, which include the financials. And I think overall, this is rather positive for your credit card companies when we talk about credit and we talk about reserves and provisions. Um, they don't have to deal with the net interest margins that the banks have to. So a lot of people agree with you, Chris. I know that Morgan Stanley thinks that there's going to be this ongoing rotation into the small caps, into the, into the more uh, value names. So what the heck is going on with the NASDAQ? Um, again, you, you've seen some of the Uber caps really underperform month to date. You have some really positive news or potentially positive news coming out of some of your Uber caps whether it's Apple or Amazon. And so they're beginning to balance. The other thing is you still have a fair amount of retail money in the marketplace. And those are names that are, are fairly um, well-known and, and well-loved by, by the retail names. And let's not forget, yesterday was a holiday, so people may, may have had a little bit more time to trade their PA. 
Are you saying, Chris Harvey, that the Bond guys were away so the equity traders had a little play? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it like that. You're much more eloquent. Is that, are, you saying, are you trying to say the adults were out of the room for a little bit? Is that what you're implying there, Chris? I'm just trying to understand where you were going with that line. Maybe, possibly. Well, yesterday, a lot of people, I, I was talking to some friends and, and they were saying, I was asking what they were doing. They're like, oh, I'm treating my PA. And so people did have a little bit more time to, to mess around and, and maybe push things that push things around a little bit. And the other thing to talk about well, let's talk about is- let's, let's talk about messing around, Chris. That's a $2 trillion name. It's Apple. The stock was up 6% yesterday. Let's see what it's doing this morning. Come on, it's it ridiculous. We're fo- positive again. And are you telling me this is about an iPhone launch that we knew about months ago? Well, um, there's a lot going on with Apple. And as we've talked about in the past, Apple is one of the most under-owned or underweight names uh, in the institutional buy side. And that has something to do with it. The other thing is they have trailed. We are hearing a lot of positive news. What we think is happening, you know, we had a pretty benign pre-announcement season. We think earnings are going to be better than expected. We think the economy is better than many people expected. And we think there's a turn in sentiment. And let's not forget, let's start looking at first half numbers. First half numbers are pretty, are pretty low. It's a pretty low bar. And maybe well, in a month, maybe in two, maybe in three, we'll have some sort of COVID solution. I'm sorry, Tom, I cut you off. No, no, Chris, this is thrilling. I'm thrilled that you're on. This is really, really, really important. <laughs> and that's the year-end ballet. You talk about Apple under-owned. What else is under-owned and what is the sweat out there of active managers who perhaps have underperformed? It's October, whatever it is, 13th, and the sweat is on to make that 1231 prospectus document look good. What's a sweat out there right now to buy these companies? So, so a couple things there, Tom. And, and what I would say is a lot of active managers actually have had a pretty good year. Um, a lot of the larger cap fundamentally driven funds are outperforming somewhere around 100 basis points. And much to our surprise, in the first two weeks of the month, they've actually improved their relative performance. And you would not expect that. Part of that is because of their underweights in the the Apples and the Microsoft. And the other issue is they do have a smaller cap bias, and that's been helping them as well. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of jockeying or positioning at this point in time. I think people are pretty happy where they are, and they're going to be very interested spectators. And so this whole talk about a beta chase and people pushing their portfolios around, I don't, I don't see it just yet. Hey, Chris, always great to catch up, sir. Thank you very Thank much. You. Chris Harvey there of Wells Fargo trying to stay out of trouble on the latest <laughs> price action. Christopher Harvey is with Wells Fargo, head of equity strategy. Chris, if we could move from the banks, or let me start with the banks. I don't want you to comment on Wells Fargo or, frankly, individual stocks. I understand that's important. Do we get a lift of financials along with a small cap lift, or is it still going to be growthiness out there that reigns supreme? So, Tom, we, month to date, we've already gotten a lift in small caps. We've already gotten a lift in financials. Uh, next couple of days, so far, the numbers look pretty good. So I would think that this is a positive for financials in the short term. But you also have uh, news out of Apple, news out of Amazon, which is helping push those stocks higher. But longer term, we are very positive on small caps. We are positive on cyclicals. And we are positive on what we call higher COVID beta plays, which include the financials. And I think overall, this is rather positive for your credit card companies when we talk about credit and we talk about reserves and provisions. Um, they don't have to deal with the net interest margins that the banks have to. 
So a lot of people agree with you, Chris. I know that Morgan Stanley thinks that there's going to be this ongoing rotation into the small caps, into the, into the more uh, value names. So what the heck is going on with the NASDAQ? Um, again, you, you've seen some of the Uber caps really underperform month to date. You have some really positive news or potentially positive news coming out of some of your Uber caps, whether it's Apple or Amazon. And, and so they're beginning to balance. The other thing is you still have a fair amount of retail money in the marketplace. And those are names that are, are fairly um, well known and, and, and well loved by, by the retail names. And let's not forget, yesterday was a holiday. So people may, may have had a little bit more time to trade their PA. Are you saying, Chris Harvey, that the bond guys were away so the equity traders had a little play? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it like that. You're much more eloquent Is that, are, you saying, are you trying to say the adults were out of the room for a little bit? Is that what you're implying there, Chris? I'm just trying to understand where you were going with that line. Maybe, possibly. Well, yesterday, a lot of people, I, I was talking to some friends and, and they were saying, I was asking what they were doing. They're like, oh, I'm treating my PA. And so people did have a little bit more time to, to mess around and, and maybe push things that push things around a little bit. And the other thing to talk about well, let's talk about is... let's, let's talk about messing around, Chris. That's a two trillion dollar name. It's Apple. The stock was up six percent yesterday. Let's see what it's doing this morning. Come on, it's it ridiculous. We're positive again. And are you telling me this is about an iPhone launch that we knew about months ago? Well, um, there's a lot going on with Apple, and as we've talked about in the past, Apple is one of the most under-owned or underweight names uh, in the institutional buy side, and, and that has something to do with it. The other thing is they have trailed. We are hearing a lot of positive news. What we think is happening, you know, we had a pretty benign pre-announcement season. We think earnings are going to be better than expected. We think the economy <clears throat> is better than many people expected, and we think there's a turn in sentiment. And, and let's not forget Let's start looking at first half numbers. First half numbers are pretty are pretty low. It's a pretty low bar. And maybe well, in a month, maybe in two, maybe in three, we'll have some sort of COVID solution. I'm sorry, Tom, I cut you off. No, no, Chris, this is thrilling. I'm thrilled that you're on. This is really, really, really important. <laughs> and that's the year-end ballet. You talk about Apple under-owned. What else is under-owned and what is the sweat out there of active managers who perhaps have underperformed? It's October, whatever it is, 13th, and the sweat is on to make that 1231 prospectus document look good. What's a sweat out there right now to buy these companies? So, so a couple things there, Tom. And, and what I would say is a lot of active managers actually have had a pretty good year. Um, a lot of the larger cap fundamentally driven funds are outperforming somewhere around 100 basis points. And much to our surprise, in the first two weeks of the month, they've actually improved their relative performance. And you would not expect that. Part of that is because of their underweights in the the Apples and the Microsoft. And the other issue is they do have a smaller cap bias, and that's been helping them as well. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of jockeying or positioning at this point in time. I think people are pretty happy where they are, and they're going to be very interested spectators. And so this whole talk about a beta chase and people pushing their portfolios around, I don't, I don't see it just yet. Hey, Chris, always great to catch up, sir. Thank you very Thank much. You. Chris Harvey there of Wells Fargo trying to stay out of trouble on the latest <laughs> price action. Thank you. 
Catherine Mann is one of our leading international economists with her academics in America, with her work at OECD, and then now Citigroup Global Chief Economist. We're thrilled that she could join us. And Catherine, I want to go to your, you know, you've got, you're so good, Catherine. You've got like four sidecar industries. And one of them is a deep understanding of how China fits into all this. Can China be our international GDP salvation, can they be the one that props us up and redirects us to growth in 2022? Well, there's always a question about who's going to be the global locomotive. And it always used to be the case that the United States was the global locomotive. That was the one who was importing uh, and supporting the growth in other economies around the world. Well, you know, uh, even though the China statistics are the more most robust of the economies that that uh, we have as well in our in our projections, uh, they're uh, exporting their way to growth. Uh, so they're not the global locomotive at this point. Uh, they are taking advantage of the recovery that is very <clears throat> sluggish in the global economy. Um, when we look at their statistics, they did just come out with some new statistics uh, today. Um, the U.S. is the one that's the global locomotive for China. Yeah. The US uh, ex China exports to the U.S. are very strong. Their exports to Europe and Japan have not recovered nearly. Dr. Man, Navarro and Trumpian uh, economics here would be it's a zero-sum game. So if China rebounds, we lose, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Do you have any optimism into next year, into a pandemic recovery, that we can see a true additive demand away from the zero-sum myth? Well, it is a zero-sum myth. Um, there is, but but the challenge is is that domestic demand uh, in economies, which of course has been uh, you know so hard hit by by COVID, uh, until that is resolved, you will not have additive demand coming from the trade channel. So you know we really need to get our consumers back on track. Um, very serious problem with business investment consider, uh, continuing to be uh, very, very weak this year uh, and into next year. So, you know, we, we have to get those two elements back on track and then trade yeah. will flow. You know, John, I really want to stop the show here and say on radio and TV, John, this is incredibly important how a lot of the thinking guests that we have pushed against a zero sum concept, including Prime Minister Johnson, and we're going out to where we get additive again. It's out there somewhere, John. The nature of the positive spillover from China's recovery, Catherine, can you walk us through how that's changed now relative to coming out of the last crisis? Uh, very good uh, question, because it was the case, uh, not only the last crisis, uh, the global financial crisis, where China really implemented quite a bit of um, fiscal policy and monetary policy to, to, to bolster uh, commodity demand, as well as other, de uh, other demand throughout the global economy. They did it again in 2015-16. Of course, they, they were part of the slowdown then, and then they you know, ramped up and, and were part of the global uh, recovery. This time around, uh, the export channel is an important channel for them. Uh, and the question mark is, to what extent 
their um, choice of fiscal policy instruments and monetary policy instruments are designed to focus on internal demand versus um, both, you know, getting uh, exports out of the, out the door and, and through that channel improving manufacturing. There has been a pivot. I mean, they talk about this dual circulation, meaning both the domestic economy and um, the external economy. So they have the language in there that suggests that they're focusing on their domestic economy trying to bolster that growth. and But right now, uh, we've got very strong uh, exports, and that's an important ingredient for their GDP growth. When uh, the IMF comes out and they bring down their expectations yeah. for growth next year, John rightly pointed out the story is it is a shallower downturn now. Yeah. It is a slower return to some sort of normalcy. What kind right. of unemployment rate can we expect in the new normal, given the uncertainty around fiscal support and given the lack of growth from the developing world? So let me say first, you know, our, our forecast has been uh, continued to drift downward uh, for global growth in 2020. We've continued to write that down. We have also written down 2021. So we've got a little bit of a different profile uh, for our forecast than the IMF does, but I have to say that neither one of them are positive. Uh, we also ask our economists, you know, when do you think your economy will return to the pre-COVID level of GDP? 30% uh, of global GDP continues to move that out in terms of the calendar, uh, and you know, none of them have a <clears throat> none of them have a return to a pre-COVID level of unemployment rates anytime in the near-term horizon. So you know, the unemployment part, the uh, the the bolstering of domestic uh, demand through consumers, uh, that's really um, a very weak part of this story of recovery. And it's not a recovery. It's, it's we only get back to where we were in January. That's just getting out of the hole. That's not a recovery. Live on Bloomberg TV and radio with Catherine Mann of Citigroup on Bloomberg Surveillance. Catherine, I just want to tease out some of your most recent yeah. research on inflation. CPI in America out seven, eight minutes ago, bang in line. Yeah. You raise a really, really interesting and important topic. The gap between consumers' perception of inflation, yeah. statistical measures of inflation, and financial market pricing of inflation, and where it leaves central banks. Catherine, just build on yeah. it for us. Right. So, I mean, even if we look at the uh, the data for consumers, what do they look at? They look at like um, they look at food prices. They look at energy prices. Uh, maybe at this point they're looking at uh, auto prices. And so their perceptions of inflation are actually well above two percent. Uh, financial markets, <clears throat> up until the change in the monetary policy framework uh, by the Federal Reserve, the, the average inflation targeting, financial markets were very low in terms of their expectation for inflation. Now, it did bump up uh, towards 2% uh, when uh, the new monetary framework came out. But the problem with the Federal Reserve, they, you know, they um, also have to deal with financial market inflation. And of course, those uh, measures of inflation, if we were talking about asset prices, uh, if we included asset prices, we would have a much higher rate of inflation than we're observing for goods and services. So the challenge is to balance you know, financial market and asset prices with consumer prices. And right now, the two of them are pretty mm. far. A few years ago, Catherine Mann put out a small monograph. The first time I heard about it, when Lawrence Kudlow yelled at me, shut up and read this monograph. And I did, Catherine Mann. It was called, Is the Trade uh, Deficit Sustainable? It was a classic immediately by Dr. Mann. How about this, Catherine Mann? Is the twin deficit we have created sustainable? 
Nobody believes it is. Do you believe in a glide path to a regression that we're familiar with? Or are we in uncharted territory here? Well, in terms of the fiscal deficits and, and the debt profiles, uh, ever, absolutely we're in uncharted territory. Um, we've never had a, a post, you know, a post-World War type of territory anyway. Um, we've never had these kinds of numbers before. We've never had these trajectories, uh, not just for sovereigns, but also for non-financial corporates. I mean, the only ones who seem to be in control at this point are households in the United States, at least. So this is a debt trajectory that is unparalleled. Um, and, you know, there's, there's there's only a couple ways out of this. The, the good way out, of course, is to uh, have an innovation serve, surge, have a productivity surge, a support for the capacity of the economy to repay its obligations. Same thing for companies. Um, that you know, that's that's a wish. That's an aspiration at this point. Um, we could imagine maybe something coming through with climate uh, innovation and climate adaptation and mitigation. These are ways in which we could get a productivity surge that would be supportive of being able to pay the debt. Mm -hmm. uh, the other way, of course, is to inflate it away. Um, a little bit of inflation would be a good thing. The Fed has made it clear that they they are willing to have inflation run above the 2% for, for a good period of time. Um, and for Catherine, I'm just trying here. to give you a book yeah. to write. Come on, I need you I to know. write as a trade deficit, is the twin deficit sustainable? I'm gonna write I'm gonna write a, uh, another one. And, but this one is going to be talking about both the capital count and the current account. Because the other question that people ask is, when does uh, the capital flow into the United States, which of course is the counterpart to the current account deficit, mm -hmm. when does that capital account uh, surplus start to erode? And that of course has to do yeah. with the sustainability of the dollar as a reserve currency. Mm -hmm. Another big topic. Catherine, great to catch up. Always great. tremendously smart. Catherine Mann there. Citigroup. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.